Praise God. Good worship. Oh, yeah. Boy, we enjoy that. Our team has been working real hard all, all week, moving things around, making room for Vanessa, who, who's back up there today with a bigger keyboard <laughs> than she had before. <laughs> and uh, they were working on getting things going with the sound, so every week they're changing something. Next week you may come in and may be different yet. That's all right. I told them it's their stage. It's not mine. Yeah. Nick says no. They're not changing anymore. <laughs> they they were here for a while last Sunday working on stuff, and we really appreciate all that they're, they're putting into that. Praise God for, for good worship. Good to see you all here this morning. We're going to be over in Luke chapter 10. There was a woman, mid-twenties, who came home to visit with her mom, very tearful. She had just broken up with her boyfriend. They were engaged. She came home, and she said, Mom, I, I just couldn't marry him. He wasn't a Christian. As we were talking, we were going over things. He told me, I don't believe that there's a hell. And I had to break it off. There's just no way I can marry someone who's, who doesn't, doesn't believe like I do. And so the mother held her, let her cry on her shoulder for a little while. And she said this to her. He says, uh, you go ahead and marry him anyway. We'll teach him to believe in hell. Yeah, sometimes, I'll tell you. Sometimes the way that we answer questions can leave us a little puzzled. May mean something a little bit different. Remember how we ended last time? About a question? Anybody ponder over that a little bit? What do you say to somebody who says, that is not very Christian of you? What do you say to that? Now, we are going to get to that, but not until the end. But we will get to it. And we're just going to show you some other things. In there. Remember I told you last time, too, I wasn't sure about Mary and Martha? We visit this story every once in a while. I, I checked back. It's uh, just about four years since the last time we visited this story. There's a lot of good things to learn from it. So we're going to be over in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It reads this way. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. A certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. We told you about three different types of people when it comes to the area of service. There are those people that like to sit back and let other people serve them all the time. They do nothing. There are those people who are constantly working. Either they're trying to get people's approval or just always feel like they need to be busy or just always at it. You never can get them to stop. Then there's a, that other group of people, and that's the one we're supposed to be like, where we have learned to serve God by serving others. And we serve God by doing what he says, not what other people say. And that's where we need to, to get to into that group. So we're probably just spending one more week on this section of, of these things. But here we're going to take a look at Martha. She is certainly our poster child for over-service. I don't think it's too hard to figure out what group Martha fits into. She's in that middle group. She got born again. She's not waiting for everybody to, to wait on her. But she's always busy, always doing something. Now, some of the uh, history to this, if you, if you think about it, uh, Jesus was coming into town. He knows these folks. He's very good friends with them. He knows them pretty well. 
And um, Martha, when, he, when she hears that he's coming, we don't know if Jesus had planned this. We don't know if Jesus had, had announced them, hey, I'm coming on over uh, and, you know, make some room for us. Or, or if it's just all of a sudden Jesus is in town. I'm kind of going to assume it's, it's more the latter, that all of a sudden Jesus is in town. And so it's kind of an impromptu kind of a thing to, to put together. Uh, what do we do? What do we do? All of a sudden, we have Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, they really like Jesus. They're excited that he's coming over to the house. Maybe she just uh, sent somebody said, Hey, Jesus, you're in town. You need to eat something. Will you come over to our house for, for, for dinner? And Jesus says, sure, yeah, I'll come on over. And so, you know, we're going to bring the, the whole group. And so we, we brought the whole group. And they came on over to, um, to, to, to uh, eat something. And so if you are all of a sudden bringing Jesus and his 12 disciples, let's just say it was a 12. You know, he has a whole lot more people following him. But let's just say it was 13 people coming to supper all of a sudden. What would that do to you? Would you be in, oh, we've got to get this ready. Uh, we've got to sweep the house. We've got to dust everything off. We've got to uh, make sure we have enough dishes. We've got to, uh, you know, all the different things that we have to do. So if it's on this, this end of a kind of an impromptu thing, Jesus just suddenly coming in. Martha saw the opportunity, kind of jumped on it. Uh, this would kind of give you an idea of what's going on in the kitchen. It may be a little chaotic in there. And Martha's probably one of those ones that has everything in order. If you are a person who has everything in order and all of a sudden something is thrown at you kind of quick and you're a little out of order, what's that do to you? Do you know somebody who has everything in order and all of a sudden something is thrown at them and they're just not quite as in order as they like to be? They maybe get a little tense, maybe a little uh, on edge. So if that's you and all of a sudden you have 13 people coming over for dinner, how many of y'all know you could use some help? And you've got a whole room full of people that seem to be in that third group. Just sitting there, putting their feet up, and you're doing all the work. And so she's getting a little, little miffed, a little upset at all this. Because there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people to get ready for. Go back here and, and read this. But Martha was distracted, verse 40, with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. We've, we've covered this before, but anytime Jesus repeats your name, it's not good. It is not good. Just if he calls you one time, let's go. Oh, this will this be better. But if he says, Stephen, Stephen. Oh, man, we're in trouble. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So she's mad at, at Mary. She might even be mad at other people, but Mary's the one who usually helps her. That's the sister. How many of y'all know you're a little bit more free with people like sisters and brothers and relatives? She's feeling a little more, more free there. So Luke speaks, to, the writer here speaks of this as a distraction. This is a distraction. You are worried about, you are distracted by many things. All these things are coming around here. Now, Mary and Martha both got born again, both believe in Jesus. That's good to get born again, isn't it? But that's not all that you need. How many things is she lacking, does Jesus say? One thing, it's not being born again, is it? She's already, already gotten born again. She already believes. So does Mary. He says, but one thing you lack. You remember somebody else he told that to? 
Rich young ruler came on over there and says, I've kept all these things from my youth. And Jesus says to him, one thing you lack. Boy, it would be pretty good just to only be lacking one thing, huh? He's running to two people. He says, you just lack one thing. Just one? Yeah. But unfortunately for the rich young ruler, he couldn't add, add it in there. And for Martha, it looks like it's pretty difficult too. What Jesus wants him to do is just, you know, just let the kitchen alone. Come on in here. Sit down. Enjoy some things. Get some things going on. So she serves everyone as Jesus is teaching. It's, it's spoken of here as a distraction to her. But she is just as busy with natural things now as she was before she believed. This is the problem with that middle group in the service area. Is that you, can, you were once busy with unsaved things. Now you are busy with saved things. You've got to be careful about that. Because that's not going to help you out. We can get real, real busy doing things for God, but it's not helping us out of our problem. Jesus said to her, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Now, Martha's type is this way. She's outwardly serving. You may know this type. Outwardly serving, inwardly criticizing, until finally it boils over and she is now boldly accusing. Lord, do you not care? This is the pattern Hopefully not for you, but, you know, people that you know. <laughs> they outwardly, they're serving, 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 but inwardly, they're criticizing. And until finally it gets to a boiling point and they just boldly accuse. Here, here's Jesus' words to Martha. So first off, you are worried to have a distracting care is what that, that means. To have a distracting care. Something that is a care for you that is distracting you from what you're supposed to do. It's a distracting care. Something that's pulling you off of your game. Troubled. They don't just distract you, they trouble you. Many things. There are many things that are doing this to you. Many things are distracting you. Many things are getting you worried. And Jesus says to her, one thing is needed. I put this in your outline for you. Once we are born again, there is still a void in us. Just because you got born again didn't fill up all the holes. There is still a place lacking in you. There's a void. Martha filled this with activities. And a lot of Christians fill it with activities. Salvation was just added to her list of activities, just things to do. Now, I had to take this out of your outline so it's not in there, but here's some warning signs that you might be a Martha. Just some warning signs. You can probably make this list a lot longer. But first off, I can't just sit and hear the word. If you always have to be doing something when you are hearing the word, you might be a Martha. No, I got to be, I can hear the word, but I got to be vacuuming the house, or I got to be doing the dishes, or I got to be doing something. I get mad at others who just sit and listen to the word. <laughs> so Martha did. Got a whole room full of people just sitting there listening to the word, and what's she doing? She get mad at them, because I'm in here doing all the work. I make excuses for my need to always work for Jesus. She's in there probably making excuses why she should be in there. Why other people ought to be in there. But I make excuses for my need to always work for Jesus. Here's a tough one. I find it hard to just worship, pray, or fellowship with Him without burying myself with something else. Busy myself with something else. Can you ever just sit back and let all the things that need to go on around the house, 
all the things that are pressuring you? Can we ever just sit back and say, I'm just going to worship him right now? Now, what happens to most people when you decide, I'm going to make this just a time of worship. I'm just going to worship God. I'm just going to worship him. And as soon as you start singing, as soon as you start ministering to him, whether you're singing in the spirit, singing a song that you know, you're out there, you're singing, you're praising God. And two minutes in, what happens? Phone rings or buzzes. You know, you got a text message or emails come in. Somebody knocks at the door. How about this one? A thought comes to you about something you ought to do. Yeah, it's hard to turn all that off, isn't it? You might be a Martha if you can't. You got to be able to turn that off and just say, Father God, I'm all yours right now. I find it hard to just worship, pray, or fellowship with him without busying myself with something else. Here's the last one that I wrote down anyway. Jesus does many things that I don't understand, and I get mad. (laughs) Has Jesus ever done something you didn't understand? Why did God let that happen? Did you get mad at him? Now, see, a person in Mary's category will go after Jesus and say, Father God, I don't understand that, but I'm willing to... Stay here until I find out what, what was going on. You tell me. You, you just minister to me. I'll, I'll just receive whatever. But uh, uh, Martha, you start fussing and why did God let that? Doesn't God see the, all the things that I'm doing for him? Doesn't he see how hard I'm working? Why does that go on? Jesus does many things that I don't understand and I get mad. Now in Mary, there was one main change. Martha, we didn't see a whole lot of change. In fact, she just kind of changed what she was busy with. But Martha is used to Mary's help. If Mary is used to helping Martha, and Mary knows that Martha is expecting... Have you, have you ever dealt with a, a Martha? A person who's always busy doing stuff and is pulling you in to help them out? And she's always pulled Mary in before to help her out. And if you're Mary and you are in the living room and Martha is in the kitchen, I'm sure that some signals are being sent. You know, how do you send the signals? Well, you know, you drop the pans to make sure that they... Do they know I'm in here? <laughs> right? You've you got to send some messages. Mary can probably feel Martha calling her into the kitchen, even though she's not calling her. Probably feel that pull. But what's Mary do? Sits. Listens. And she's not alone. Remember her, their brother, Lazarus. He's probably in the room sitting there, too. So Lazarus isn't helping. Mary's not helping. Nobody else in the room is helping. Martha's got to do it all by herself. Jesus says to Mary that she has chosen the good part. The word there for good is the Greek word kalos. And it means, I'm sorry, it's not the word kalos, good tasting, but agathos. Meaning good as in lasting value. We've used this as an example for this before, but when you are going up and down the grocery aisles, you are not necessarily looking for kalas, things of good tasting. Otherwise, you'd come out of there with the tasty cakes and the Oreo cookies and stuff like that. You're looking for things that have lasting value. And so some of you, you know, you'll spend time down the vegetable aisle. Some of you, you'll spend time down the, the, the meat aisle and pick up some chicken and some, some uh, things that you can, you can cook up, right? Uh, not necessarily down the ice cream aisle. Ice cream would be... I know Naz is shocked. Sorry, Brother Naz, but ice cream is kalas. It's, it's good tasting. It's good tasting, isn't it right? Yeah, but um, lasting value, probably not a whole lot. 
Not a whole lot of that there. Now, you know, uh, for me, uh, when I'm going down, I have to pick up the chocolate milk because that has lasting value. It does. The best post-workout drink that you can drink. So if you all have your hard workout, make sure you get your chocolate milk. I don't know why regular milk does not work as well. I, I don't ask questions that I don't want the answers to. Chocolate milk works just fine. Ah, oh, I tell you. Going out there on that run, coming back, I got chocolate milk waiting for me at home. <clears throat> yeah. As long as my granddaughter hasn't drank it all up yet, we're, <laughs> we got her hooked too. She, she likes chocolate milk. She's, she's into that. Mm. Uh, Vine's point is this way. Good is in its character beneficial in its, in its effect. Mary has chosen the good part. Good in its character beneficial in its, in its effect. Oftentimes, folks, we as Christians are not picking the good, the one with lasting value. We are taking the thing that has good taste. And works can have a good taste. I feel like I have done something. But we need to sometimes step back and pull in some word, pull in some worship. Just isolate ourselves with God the Father and just say, Father, I have all yours I'm just going to pray, I'm going to worship, I'm going to study your word, and everything else is out. Now, we said that uh, to Mary, everything is someone else's fault. Put that in your outline there. To Mary, or I'm sorry, to Martha, everything is someone else's fault. It's Jesus' fault for not caring when she comes out. What's she say? Do you not care? Tell my sister to come help me. It's Mary's fault for not helping. She should have just come in and helped, but she didn't. And Jesus should have noticed that Martha's in there all by herself doing all this. Maybe Jesus could have just said, hey, Mary, would you mind giving Martha a hand? But he didn't do that. And so she's thinking about this the whole time she's in there serving the Lord Jesus. She is thinking nasty thoughts of Jesus and Mary. Can you imagine that? You're in the kitchen serving Jesus thinking nasty thoughts about him. Can't believe Jesus didn't tell Mary to come in here. Doesn't he care? Doesn't he care? (laughs) How many of you would like to stand in front of Jesus and say, don't you care? Some of us have already done that in prayer time, haven't we? God, don't you care that I'm going through this? Now, I want you to notice that this is one of the most powerful things I ever saw about this story. What happens in the house is a crisis for Martha, but a joy for Mary. The same thing has happened inside the house for both people. For one, it is a crisis. For the other, it is a joy. How many of you have gone through something that you saw as a crisis? Maybe you didn't pick the good part. What is a crisis for one? is a joy for the other. Here's the other one. What brings frustration for Martha brings faith for Mary. What brings frustration for Martha brings faith for Mary. The very same thing that may be frustrating you may have been designed to bring you faith. The very thing that you see as a crisis may have been designed to be a joy. Remember the section we were on before, talking about training days? How many of y'all know Daniel could have looked at that day as a crisis? 
Instead, when he looks back on that day when the king called for the, all the wise men to be killed, does he look about upon that with bad memories? He looks at that, boy, that was a good day, wasn't it? Oh, that was a great day. That was a day we all got elevated. How about the, his uh, buddies when they didn't bow down? That could have been a crisis, couldn't it? What happened? It was a joy. <laughs> they think back on that and says, oh, can you imagine? They threw us into that fiery furnace after it was seven times hotter. And we came out alive. Can you think about that without being joyful? Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. Could that have been a crisis? What did it end up being? A joy. It was a joy. What brings frustration for one can bring faith for another. You remember in John chapter 2? The wedding ran out of wine. Could that be a crisis? What did it end up being? An opportunity for faith. Do Whatever he says to do. And they did. In Second Corinthians 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Boy, I'll tell you, have you ever been in a place where you... You are just, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. But don't despair. Don't get to the point where you despair. You give up. No, don't give up. Hang in. Stay with it. You stay with it. Knock down, but you don't stay down. Now, turn over to Proverbs chapter chapter 6. Or just look up on the screen. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? Now, here's what I want you to get from this, tied in connection with this story. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. We don't see too many ants around right now, but they are coming. Which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? We don't see any ants in the winter. We see them in the summer. Why do we see them in the summer? Because they're out there working. They're out there gathering food while there's plenty of food. They're gathering more food than they're going to eat that day. And then they go out the next day and they gather more. And they go out the next day and they gather more. And they go out the next day and they gather more. And they go out the next day and they gather more. They keep gathering more. They don't sit there and say, well, eh, we got enough lessons for a week. Let's just take some time off. All summer long, if you put food on the ground, who's coming? They will, they will find their way in. If you go on a picnic, you will find out they did not take the day off. They're out there every single day. He's saying this, learn from them. When there is abundance around, harvest it and bring it in. Because just like the ant, you can run into a time when it's no longer harvest, when it's winter. And you need to rely on what you have. There are times, folks, when Jesus has been in our midst and he wants to teach us and he wants to instruct us and he wants to give us some things for what's coming down the road. But we're too busy doing other things. And then when the problem comes up, we have nothing to draw back on. There's nothing there because we didn't spend the time.
want you to think of another story that involved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There was a story that was involved in which Lazarus died. And Jesus delayed in coming. He didn't come out right away. He waited four days. And then he told his disciples, Lazarus is dead. Let's go. And by the time he gets there, he had been dead four days. He's been buried. And the big thing about four days, if you remember the, the story, is for the Jewish person, the spirit of a dead person would hover around one day one, day two, and day three. But on the fourth day, that spirit would go on to Abraham's bosom. It would no longer be able to be joined back with the body. It's a big, that's why it's always emphasized, on the fourth day. Because this is a big deal to them. Why did Jesus delay? We, we spent time on that. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it here. But simply, that was the same city that they were ready to kill Jesus. Remember his disciples? Why do we have to go back there? They wanted to kill you. They wanted to stone you. And when Jesus says, no, but we're going, what do they all say? Well, let's go and die with him. Isn't it amazing how at that point in their lives they're ready to die and just a little while later they ran? Hmm. They had an opportunity here to gather some things and bring some things in to get themselves ready. The person who was probably the worst of the two sisters as far as their faith was concerned was Martha because she didn't take in what she needed to take in. She wasn't ready. Gather your food when it grows. Winter, in this, uh, in this uh, verse here, winter is a type of crisis when food doesn't grow. Prepare when the crisis isn't here. The Spirit of God may come upon you and say, Steve, you need to study on healing. Why? I'm doing fine. I feel good. Nothing's wrong. No aches and pains. Why do I need to study on healing? And yet it comes up in your spirit again. Steve, you need to study on healing. Might come up, hey, you need to study on finances. Finances. Got the best job I've had. Got the best income I've had. Got more money in the bank than I've ever had in my life. I need to study on finances? I don't think I need to study on finances. I think I'm all right. I'm not sure what that is. And we kind of let it go. But you see, what God is trying to get us to do is that while it is harvest time, while there's no crisis, build up. Because he knows what's coming down the road. You don't, but he does. Remember when he had the disciples in the garden? Pray that you do not enter into temptation. What did they do? They slept. They were sleeping. That wasn't so good. See, if you will put into your spirit, when God says to put into your spirit, when you need to draw off of it, it's there. You want to have something there that you can draw off of. But if we don't put into our spirit when times are good, then when we need to draw off of it, it's not there. And it's not always even just for crisis. Sometimes it's just for ministry. God says, you've got some ministry opportunities coming up. I need you to study. I need you to be sharp on this because this is coming up. <clears throat> well, if he would tell me that, then I would go ahead and do it. But when he just leads me to study up to get myself ready, I kind of, ah, I don't need to do that. I don't see the need. No, but you need to be careful. And that's where we get to this question here. That's not very Christian of you. How many have ever been said that by, by somebody? I think we all have, haven't we? Pretty often. People come up to you and they don't like something that you're doing. Or they want to see you do something different. 
or they want to see you. Most of the time, it's, you're not treating them the way that they want to be treated. I think the biggest time that you'll see this is when they have a financial need. They see you as a as an enabler that you have money, and they come and they ask you for it, and you say, "No." Well, that's not very Christian of you. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you helped people. You ever hear stuff like that? Yeah, because why are they saying that to you? Because they want some money. And then sometimes Christians will give in to this. And say, well, I need to be a witness. So I need to, to open up the door to do things. I guess I'll, I'll go ahead. And you give the money to them. Ever done that? I know I have. We've given, it, we've given in to the thing that they wanted, that they said. And did it ever produce results? No, didn't produce results, did it? I asked Jesus this one time. I said, you know, how is it that you can tell if you're sowing into good ground? How many of you all know we have sown into some ground that was not good? And we've sown into some ground that was good. I can still think of some of the people we've sown into in, in, in good, it was good ground. And you just keep looking at it. Oh, oh, man, that is so good. Dear Lord, that was, oh. every time I think about that, I get a good feeling. I get a good feeling about that. How many of y'all know when you think about bad seed and you gave money and you didn't feel it in your spirit to do so, but you felt guilty or you felt coerced and you went ahead and did it and it didn't result in anything and all you did was lose money. Didn't really help them out. That doesn't feel so, so good. So I asked, I asked God about that. He says, here's one way that you can tell. If you have had someone ask you five times to help them and you help them four but not the fifth. And all they do is talk about the one time you didn't help them. That's probably not good soil. But if you have a person who's asked you five times to help them and only one time you did, and all they can talk about is the one time you helped them, that's probably good soil. It's a gratefulness. Some people, folks, are just ungrateful. They're not thankful for what you did. They expect it. And that's what you're going to get with this question. And you know it, too. How many of y'all know? They're not, they don't, this is not a good question. This is not, not based on anything. But how do you answer this? I like how Jesus did with things. Um, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, while, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, because they kept asking him questions, trying to trap him. And so he just said, you know, let's, let's just turn this around. I'm going to ask you a question. He said in verse 42, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. (laughs) He asked the question, Man, we know that answer. He's the son of David. He knew what they were going to say. He said to them, How then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? He's just messing with them. He's just playing around with them, right? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. There are some people, folks, you just need to shut them up. You, we, we think, well, I just want to keep them talking. If they keep talking, no, some people you just need to shut them up. And Jesus had this with the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes and all those groups. And he just gave them, the, he let them talk, 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 and they just kept tra- trying to trap them, trap them. They're not trying to seek after knowledge. And so finally, he just threw this question at him. I guarantee you, he had more questions like this. Guarantee he had more questions like this. And they said, man, if he just pulled that one out, just like that, I don't want to hear what else he has to say. <laughs> so let's not ask him any more questions because he's, um, he's probably going to say something. Now, that, that 
question came to him in his spirit because he was putting time in. But I want to tell you this. If God gives you something in the spirit to answer people, it's going to take some boldness to say it. It's not going to be easy. How many of y'all know it took some boldness for Jesus to say this? If you go through the book of Acts, how many times is it referred to the boldness of the disciples? They answered boldly. They prayed for boldness. It's going to take some boldness. So there are going to be some situations with people who ask questions like this that you're going to have to be bold with them. Not necessarily harsh, but bold. Now, Jesus sometimes was harsh, but most of the time it's just a, a, a directness, a boldness. I want to direct you to a story in Luke chapter 19. How do you answer this question? If someone comes to you and says, that's not very Christian of you, how can you answer them? Now, for me, the ideal answer would be, first off, to get them to shut up. Because they're not asking for knowledge. They're not seeking after knowledge. All that they want is what? They want, you to, they want you to help them out. Remember how Jesus addressed the crowd of people that followed him all the way across the sea? Because he fed them. And when they all came over, he says, you all came because you got fed. And he was, he was uh, kind of harsh with them. He, doesn't, uh, necessarily, he did not necessarily like people coming after him because they were going to get fed. If Jesus didn't like that, you probably shouldn't like it either. Well, you can write this down. You can do whatever you want to. But here's the, here's an answer. here is an answer. God can give you a different one. But here is an answer that you can say to this. person comes to you and says, that's not very Christian of you, would give me an idea that inside of them, they have an idea of what a Christian should be. Is that a good assumption? Are they not thinking that they know what a Christian is? If they are going to say to you, that's not very Christian, they must have an idea of what a Christian is. So here's an answer for that. If you judge others by what you think a Christian should be, is God unjust judging you by your own words? Now that's in the scriptures. That's not just out of my head. Luke chapter 19, verse 20. Then another came saying, this is the parable of the minus. Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. Does he deal with whether the out of his mouth is fact or fiction? Truth or falsehood? He simply says, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. Now, this is the parable. Jesus made this story up. That means everybody said exactly what he wanted them to say. Everybody did exactly what he wanted them to do. It's a parable. He made up the story. When this person says this, it wasn't, well, I'm stuck with what they said. He put the words in their mouth. Is our father... Let's look at it again. Is our, this is to describe our father. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. When he reaps us as a harvest, did he not sow something? When we love him, is he reaping what he did not sow? What's the word of God say about that? 
He loved us first. So he sowed love and received some love back. Not everybody did. When he gave gifts to men, he put into every person a gift. He put in every person a, a measure of faith. Did he reap off of that with everybody? No. But he sowed constantly. He always sowed first. This does not describe our Father at all, does it? This is a completely false view of God the Father. And yet, this is what Jesus says, Out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? Then at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. So here's what he's saying. If that's really what you believed about me, then you would have done something with it. If that's really what you believed that I wanted, you would have at least put it in the bank. And when you brought it back to me, you would have given me something more. But you didn't do it. These people who want to come up to you and they want to try and coerce your behavior to become something that is different, something that they want, they don't do it themselves. Have they helped anybody else out the way they're asking you for help? Have they done for someone else what they're asking you to do? That's not very Christian of you. Simply, if you judge others by what you think a Christian should be, is God unjust judging you by your own words? Now, what do you think would minister to them more long-term as far as getting them born again? Giving them the money they're asking for? Or bringing their attention to judgment? Whether or not they have a factual understanding of God or not makes no difference. Because God just simply says, I can judge you based on what you think you know, even if it's wrong. And I've, I didn't put this in, in your outline or mine, but just, I forgot how we, how we phrased this before. What you do with untruth will show God what you will do with truth. If you are lazy with what is untrue, what would you do with what is true? How many of you have ever heard people, maybe you said it yourself, oh, Father God, I wish I had more revelation of you. Here's a simple answer to that. What are you doing with what he's given you? Because what you're doing with what he has given you is what you would do if more comes. Well, I don't know if it's all true yet. Folks, if you believe something to be true, you have word on it, maybe even if your word understanding is not complete, act like it is and sell yourself out to it. Father God, this is what I believe your word is saying. I thank God, you know, over the, over the years, I've, I've believed some things very strongly before and then I came to find out, oh, that's not right. And I changed my belief and I ordered my behavior around it. And then, you know, down the road, Lord still tarries. We'll find out, oh, I thought that was true. I'll have to change my behavior. I would rather have to change my behavior when I get a new revelation than have no behavior to change. Because that would tell me I haven't done anything with what I thought I knew. Yeah, do something with what you got. Put it to work. Get out there and do the thing. And God will give you more. God will give you a greater understanding. 
But seek after God. Because this question and other questions will come to you from people trying to get you to do things for them. Just listen to God. Hear from Him. This is what Jesus did. He answered. I love His answers. When He answered people, oh, I'll tell you what, it's fun just to go back through and study them up. Look how you, look how you took care of this. Look what you did. Wow, it's wonderful. It was wonderful. You know, that whole thing with Him waiting the days until He went out there to, to uh, minister to Lazarus. These folks were, were trying to kill Him. The thought is that more than likely they had a trap set because they knew Lazarus was sick. And surely Jesus will come back and get him. And as soon as he came through the gates, as soon as he came near the city, they were going to take him out and stone him. But what happened was he waited until the fourth day. And they waited for him while he was sick. They waited him on the first day after the death. They waited him for the second day after the death. They waited him for the third day after the death. But on the fourth day, they said, I guess he's not coming because the spirit of Lazarus is no longer here. And they dispersed the trap. And then Jesus comes waltzing on in. And you notice how direct Jesus is to get right to the grave? He goes right to the grave. And uh, let's get this done. And he raised Lazarus from the dead on the fourth day. How many times did they say that? It's the fourth day. It's the fourth day. And he raised, we've never seen this done before. It's the fourth day. How are you going to take somebody out and kill him who just raised somebody from the dead who was dead four days when these folks thought that was impossible? It's one thing to raise somebody from the dead day one, day two, day three. The fourth day? And their trap could not be sprung because Jesus listened to what the Spirit had to say. The Spirit of God will shut up your enemies. The ones who have a heart to learn will repent and they'll change. The ones who just desire to entrap you and take what it is that you have will simply get mad and that will expose them to you. They are not people that you can help. They are not fruitful soil. So maybe somebody else can, but for you to continue to go on and try and help those people. They ain't going to work. You aren't going to get there. There are some people, folks, Jesus could not minister to. They would not receive from him. Not that he didn't, he didn't have uh, words of life for them. But no, they wouldn't do anything with that. Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. If that was the case, why didn't you act on it? Listen to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will give you words of wisdom, words of knowledge. He will give you things to speak to help minister to the people that are around you. But He will also begin to say, you need to stop with that one. The door is closed for you. It might be open for someone else. But as long as you keep jumping in there to try and save the day, God can't do what He wants to do. Don't get in God's way. Don't be a Samuel. God has to say, get up. Why are you still in this area? I told you to leave it. You need to move on. And Samuel did. Are we there to, to help them out? Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help. You always provide for us. Whatever situation we are in, you are there to help us. Father, if we are in a time of harvest where things are peaceful all around us. We need to be diligent 
to pull into our spirit the things that you're telling us to do. Whatever it is that you tell us, you need to study on this, you need to read this, you need to meditate on this, you need to absorb word on this thing. You need to spend some time worshiping, spend some time praying. Whatever it might be, we need to get ourselves ready. While there might be a time that we are in crisis, sometimes that crisis is made all the worse because we didn't get ourselves ready. We didn't listen to your spirit who said, it's a harvest time. You need to be bringing some stuff in. Because we didn't listen, some things aren't going quite the way that they should. In Joseph's dream, you showed him, or the Pharaoh's dream that Joseph interpreted, you showed him there will be coming a time of great famine, but before it will become a time of harvest. You need to put away and prepare for the time of famine. Father, whatever time of life we are in, whatever place we are at, we need to listen to your spirit. Whether it's a time of harvest, time of ministry, time of crisis, whatever it might be, we can be made ready for it. We thank you for the help. You always are here to give us. We want to be receptive to that. As we learn how to discern your voice, we need to know when you say, you need to get ready. You need to prepare. You need to take some things in on this area because you see what's down the road. And whether it be for ministry or whether it be for crisis, whatever it is, Father, if we are obedient, we will be ready. We thank you for the help that you give us in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. We got some praise reports. If you did not get your praise report in, you got a little bit of time, you can write one down. I think I know what that one is and just got turned in there. I passed it on to a few people, but I can hold that here. Okay, this one. You have one? Can I say it? Sure. Okay. Um, this one's from Chris. She's back in July. Um, actually, when, in August when Jay and Tammy were here, Jay prayed for her daughter um, to not miscarry. <clears throat> and so yesterday, well, the baby was, the baby didn't miscarry, and in fact, was that even one? Oh, she came out a week. Oh, a week, yeah, a week after okay. due date. But she did deliver. She was induced, and it's Dempsey. Dempsey Christella Hayes was born on Monday night. Eight pounds, six ounces. Praise God. That's awesome. Yeah, and and Mike's, Mike and Eileen's granddaughters, or granddaughter and grandson were both born. And let's see. Clara is still in the hospital. Charlie is home. But she's going to be coming home possibly tomorrow. Praise God. Hey. And Charlie came home already. So, hallelujah. I love babies. <laughs> I love grandbabies especially. Okay, Jolly says, um, had a safe trip back from Virginia. That's right, you were at the school, so he's home safe and sound. Um, Ray says, I praise God that as Sarah comes to the end of her special therapy sessions, she has learned ways to cope with her anxiety, and she's, they are praying for someone to come across her path that will lead her back to the Lord and how to deal with these anxieties. Um, and Tony Morris said she got a loan that's going to enable her to get her car running and take care of some bills, and also she'll have health insurance. Praise God for health insurance. Um, she's also starting a, uh, a Bible study this week with my mother-in-law and her friend Ethel. 
praise God for that. Amen. Any other praise reports? Nope. I did want to share something. I can hold it on one second. You can take that. I did want to share something. I want to bring it to your attention. Because um, <clears throat> sometimes things get confused. But the meeting with Kate McVeigh, how many of you read the bulletin today? It is being postponed. Um, and there, there is a reason for that. Prior to my surgery, I tried to get everything accomplished for the meeting yesterday, for the Kate McVeigh meeting, getting the venue taken care of, and we had invited some other churches to participate, so I got the word to them, got the flyers made, got the meals put together, you know, what we're going to share and, and have on that day. And then the Navy, I'm blaming this on the Navy, um, sent my son two weeks later. So because of that, his graduation actually falls on the day of the service. So how does, how does it go? Um, neither sleet nor rain nor hail of night <laughs> is going to keep me from going to his, his graduation. So that day, um, Pastor and I will be in Illinois. Um, so I am waiting for one of the ministers who's coming. I checked with the venue already. They're, they're open the whole month of May. Praise God. Pray with me. That stays that way. Um, and what, as soon as we hear we will let you know when that will be. Um, as it is right now, there's only, there was only, I think, five or six that signed up, and I think I did get back to, to most of you about that. So if you're making plans to come in April, hold off. We will, we will definitely have it come May, okay? Um, but check your bulletins. A lot of people said that they didn't even remember about Margie being here yesterday, um, and I know it was in the bulletin before. It was announced. It was on the, in the SALT meeting, but there's times that it can't be in every single bulletin. So if we announce things, especially at SALT meetings, you know, if we tell you that certain things are coming up, please make a note because there's a lot of times, too, that I don't remember who was told, who wasn't told, who was there, who wasn't there. Um, we try to put the, the things in the bulletin as well, um, the flyers that we made up for the, the two separate meetings. So please try and make, it, make a note of it. Um, that will help us out. Okay? 